Hi, my name's Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. You join us as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and we're asking the question, Who is Jesus? A simple question with many answers. For more information about us and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Well, we're talking today about Jesus being the effective trainer. I only buy Nike trainers, Nike trainers, because it means victory, doesn't it? And nobody remembers second, particularly if you're a boxer. Come from a long line of boxers, I do, you know, except for my mother, she was a cocker spaniel. <laughs> anyway, from that, Jesus was a great trainer of people. And um, it's interesting, he didn't form a training school where you could sign up for a six-week course. How to become an effective minister of the gospel in six easy lessons. He didn't do it. Nor did he go to loads and loads of people. He didn't measure success by loads of people being with him. If that were the, the benchmark, we have to conclude that Jesus was an abysmal failure. Because right at this is the, you know, don't we say today, oh, if we could all have more miracles, if we could see miracle after miracle, folk could stream in. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and everybody left him. I mean, there was one time he was only talking about the breaking of bread, John 6, and it got so bad with all his disciples leaving him, he got to his staff, those 12, and he said, do you want to go as well? And it was Peter that said, well, where can we go? I wondered if it had a look. I wonder if it's better at that church. I wonder if that rabbi might help us a bit better. It won't be so difficult with that one over there. But he couldn't find any. He said, well, you've got the words of eternal life. We'd better stick with you. I just wonder if there had been someone, if he'd have tried it. Hmm. But he didn't do what we would do. It's interesting, isn't it, that we train people in Bible schools, which isn't biblical, by the way. I can't find a Bible school anywhere in Scripture. It was the local church that trained folk. That's interesting, isn't it? However, we would, in our Bible schools, seminaries and things like that, we train people for perhaps one, two, in some cases, three years, and then send them out for a lifetime of ministry. And here's Jesus who spent the best part of his life in obscurity for three and a bit years of ministry. That's interesting, isn't it? A friend of mine is, is in his early 20s, and uh, he asked his pastor if he could show him how to be a minister. He wanted to be a full-time minister of the gospel. The pastor of this church, a friend of mine as well, he said, yeah, Sundays, can you put the bins out? <laughs> he said, but I want to be a minister of the gospel. He said, I know, I'm trying to help you. Put the bins out. Go and get a job. What's he so, what's he talking about? 
Don't come apart from the world. Live in the real world. Find out what makes people tick, and then you might be able to have something to say to them. And so this lad's putting the bins out. He's just started preaching a little bit after a year of putting the bins out. He talks a lot of rubbish. No, no. no that's not true. <laughs> Let's get to the Scriptures. <laughs> Jesus' training method is what we now know as discipleship. Discipleship. And it wasn't a discipleship course with exams. It was very open-ended. Well, let's read from Mark chapter 3. I'll read it from verse 13. And Jesus went up onto the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. <clears throat> The major part of this talk this morning is this word, with. Jesus selected these men that they may be with Him. If you read the Amplified, that's the Amplified version, it, it says there that... Pardon? You know, when to put this on, I, put, I remember my Uncle Fred. He had an hearing aid, and, but it whistled. Wherever, if he turned his head, it... <whistles> like that. I wondered if this would whistle. But the primary thing for these men that he chose was that they would be with him. And so often, when we're keen to be about the business of God, we want to go get things done... But there's no shortcut to this, and in his training method, there was no shortcut either. He chose these disciples that they may be with him. In one of the gospel accounts, it said he prayed all night. Jesus prayed all night and then chose these twelve. I can't believe he chose them. Whatever selection method he was working to, it was a lot different to what I would have chosen. Who in the right mind would have chosen Peter? Big mouth. If you don't put restraint on him, he'd have smacked somebody, wouldn't he? As soon as look at him. Impetuous. That's why I quite like him, I think. But, you know, thump somebody and ask questions afterwards. I saw a dramatization of when Jesus um, was... He'd come to the boat, and they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. Apparently, night time's the best time to go. And um, <clears throat> Andrew said, he wants you to put the boat out, to let the nets down for a catch. And in this dramatization, 
when Andrew told Peter, Peter was on the boat and he's kicking the tattle about and swearing and cursing and stuff like that. Who's he thinking? He's only a flaming carpenter anyway. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he, he stormed off the boat and headed right for Jesus as though he was going to give him a good hiding. And Jesus just stood there ever so calm, looked straight into his eyes and said, Peter, put out the boat and let the nets down for a catch. And that's when he said, we read it very sort of plainly, don't we, and sort of uh, sanctified. At your word, Lord, I'll... All right, then, because you say so. It was more like that. So he was, a, he was a bit of an impetuous man. I wouldn't have chosen him. And then you've got a Roman collaborator in there. Matthew, a tax collector. And you have... Simon the Zealot in the same group. You wouldn't dare leave them for a minute, would you? Because one would be slitting the other's throat. And who in the right mind puts a thief in charge of money? That's what... What, what system is Jesus using here? We have to understand something about Jesus because he's the same with you as he is with them. That when he called you to himself, he didn't see just what you were. He saw what you were going to be in him. And I love that verse. I think it's Philippians 1 verse 6. It says this, He that began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Who will see it through to completion? He will. He that began it. Did you begin it? No, you didn't. Neither did I. So who's going to complete? Are we going to complete it? No. He is. We're not left to our own devices. And that's the point about being with Him. In Matthew chapter 11, it says this, No one knows the Son, this is Jesus' words, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And all those whom the Son desires to reveal Him. And the very next word Jesus says is, Come! So who can know the Father? Only the Son and anyone the Son desires to reveal the Father to. And He says, Come, all you are weak and heavy laden. Come to Me and you'll find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But here, this yoking together, that's what this word with means. This is sharing life together. That's what discipleship means. It's, it literally means to walk in the same way with a master or, or a teacher or a rabbi, to walk in the same way, walk together with. Now, I'm indebted to Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, because it altered my view of the text of Scripture that I'd read. You know, when Jesus, we, we even sang about Him carrying the cross today, and He did for a while, but then they pressed a certain man into doing it and that was Simon of Cyrene. 
Simon of Cyrene did not want to do that. He was forced to do it. Now, as I'd read the text of Scripture in the past, I'd always read it that Simon carried that cross instead of Jesus. But in Mel Gibson's film, he carried it with Jesus. That's really helped me. He carried it with Jesus because here, from starting to carry that cross, something he did not want to do, he didn't want to be involved, he wanted nothing to do with it, and when they get to Golgotha, he's defending Jesus in the film. <laughs> and in that being with him, something of a transaction is taking place. This is the power of Jesus' effective training, that as we are with him, something of a transaction in life takes place as we're walking together, as we're doing things together, as we're watching him and trying it out for ourselves. That's the power of being with him. It's a yoking together. Derek Brown was once ministering to a youth event in Swanwick at the Hayes Conference Center. Some of you will know it, very close to where we live. And uh, one of our youth went, and this is some time ago, she's two children of her own now. But anyway, during this time, he gave to her a fire extinguisher. Not one of those small ones like at the back, but one of those really big ones. And she's staggering under the weight of this thing. He said, what's the matter with you? She said, well, it's too heavy for me. He said, well, put it down then. And that was his prophetic message to her, you see. She was carrying stuff she was not meant to carry on her own. And that was what this being with Jesus was about. He was enabling them to realize that they don't have to go alone. And neither do we. Why do we do it then? Do it all the time. Doesn't the Scripture say, cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you? Or well, cast a few then. <laughs> now listen, I've done a Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic study of the word all. And it means all. A waste of time. A waste of time. It means without exception. It means all. Praise God. In Jeremiah 23, verse 18 and verse 22, there's, it's an indictment of the false prophets. And the indictment of the false prophets was this, they had not stood in my counsel. Had they stood in my counsel, they would have seen and heard my word and would have proclaimed my word to my people and turned them from the wicked ways. But the reason they prophesy in rubbish is because they've not stood in my counsel. And the word there for counsel means a company of persons in close deliberation with the implication of intimacy and the disclosure of secrets. That's amazing, isn't it? Why do you think he wants us to be with him? This is not a six-week course. This is a lifetime's involvement with the Master. It's called discipleship. It's a sharing of life. 
Don't you think when you read about the disciples, they spent quite a bit of time hanging out together, enjoying one another? Don't you think in hanging around and being with Jesus, there was a modification in, of Simon the Zealot's attitude towards Matthew? When he saw that Jesus was the same with them all. He had that same love for them all. He was interested them in them all. Jesus in John 15 says, I call you servants no longer because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. And then Jesus defines friendship. And it's all in this mix of being with. What did he define it as? He says, I call you friends because everything I've received from my Father I've disclosed to you. You see, discipleship's about sharing of life. And in that sharing of life, there is vulnerability. There's openness of heart. Really helped me one time when somebody explained to me that the will of God was not a tightrope. You can tell Christians that think it is a tightrope because they say, don't come near me. That's their attitude. Leave me alone. Don't knock me off this tightrope. Don't maintain my balance. Want to bless the Lord. Please Him. They're not good at fellowship, these folk. <laughs> Unless you're good at tightrope walking. This person that was telling me this, he said, you know, that's not the definition of the will of God. The will of God is more like a great meadow. It's got a hedge around it that's got thorns in it, and if you go through the hedge, you'll scratch yourself. But there's still a way back, but you'll, you will get damaged a bit, but you can be healed. Best not to go through it. But within the confines of it, you're free to experiment and play and try things out and even make miserable failures of something. And that's why Jesus trained people by being with him. Hallelujah. Now in Matthew 6, it picks up on something, that, uh, sorry, not Matthew, Mark 6, it picks on, up on something that is in that first um, couple of verses that we read. Because it said that they may be with him and these he sent. It's interesting uh, in, in this portion, where is it? Verse 6, uh, verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals but not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they were with him. And when he sent them, 
It's interesting, he sent them in twos. Even in the going, he didn't want them to go it alone. And it's great to work in a team. I've read a book called Courageous Leadership by a man called Bill Hybels from um, Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago. Dave Bunting prefers Jacob's Creek, apparently, but uh, I don't know what that is. But anyway, Willow Creek is this, um, <coughs> this church. And um, in this book, there's a chapter which talks about leadership styles. And he itemized, I think it's about 15 different styles of leadership. Um, and he says in the book that that's not exhaustive, but that's what he's discovered. And he's also discovered that within himself, there's two of them. But for the church to function, he needs the other 13. So in other words, you need people who can do what you can't do. Now in January, I uh, spoke at our church there and set forth the vision once again. Because we forget, I forget what the oh, what are we going for? Oh yes, it's this, isn't it? And we've veered off, so we have to come back to what the vision is. Fair enough. Anyway, I had a phone call from a friend in in the church meeting, and he said, "Man, this morning, when you were preaching, it's as though you got buckets of paint and just sloshed them all over the place." I said, "Well, that's me, isn't it? That's the sort of stuff I do. I can't help it. It's just how I am." why Susan don't get me to decorate, I think. But anyway, but that's how I am. I find it very difficult to stick to notes. It's like going on a walk and you find this, oh, this is an interesting lane to go down. Let's see what's down here. And sometimes they're cul-de-sacs, aren't they? You get stuck. But this man that was saying that, he's very precise. I said, well, yeah, I've chucked the paint about. Now you go in with a sable hair brush and put in the detail. We need each other. We're not to get jealous over somebody's gifting. So on the school of prophecy that you ran um, in Hope College, I know that Jeff did the first week. John, Master Giovanni, I was going to say he's different to me, he's different to everybody. Isn't he? Praise God. Yes. We need him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's me. And then after me, there's Carl. You know, you read your mail. And we're all different, aren't we? I used to get freaked out that I'm supposed to be doing this stuff and I'm nothing like Tony Ling. And it was my wife that really helped me. She said, well, if God had wanted Tony Ling, he'd have called Tony Ling, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quick to catch on me. <laughs> we need one another. He sent them out in twos. Why? For support, to encourage one another, to help one another in this ministry. They'd received something by living with Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, all of us are continually receiving something. As we remain in fellowship with Him, as we're talking with Him, 
day by day, reading his word, praying in fellowship with one another. He's continually pouring stuff into us. Most of the time, we have no idea. And we get into this soulish, stupid realm of saying, well, I can't do anything. I'm a nothing and nobody. I'm not very good. And Jesus probably saying, well, I knew that when I took you on. But together we can do something. He has imparted to every single one of us. That's why one of my hobby horse scriptures is 1 Corinthians 12, 7, which says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the common good. And our practice has become the manifestation of the Spirit is given to a few to benefit a few. That's not what the text of Scripture says. It says that the manifestation manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. So when we come together, there's, there's a, a fullness of manifestations of the Spirit so all can be encouraged and blessed and we'll go out different to when we came in. But not different being worse, but better. Now these people went out to minister and they went having received authority from Jesus. I really believe that Jesus is the prototype man. So before you buy your Ford Mondeo, God bless you, there will have been a prototype made. And all the others are like the successful prototype. And that's why they were with him to become like him. So when they were going out, they were ministering as him. And that's the benefit of this training method called discipleship. Now, it's interesting that Jesus was straight with them. He didn't mollycoddle these people. He knew how to correct. You know, I've explained a lot to our Andrew over the years. <laughs> and he's a good lad. I mean, some of you know him. And he's a good lad. But he's had some. He had it way back when it was okay to do it. <laughs> now you're to spank him with a feather duster, aren't you? And call it counselling. When I was teaching back then, I was head of year. And we had, a, the heads of year had four days with the educational psychologist. I think we probably needed it. But anyway, we talked, it was about counseling, how to counsel these pupils. Now, on the Friday morning, we had a full school assembly, and we're all in there. And I was never on the stage with the rest of the, I was on riot control down the back of the year 11s, you see. And they've got a group of year 11 lads who called themselves the A team. You remember the television show? And I got the nickname the Colonel, because Colonel Decker was always chasing them in the television show. Anyway, they were mucking about in this one. And we got A5 diaries about that size back then. Anyway, there was a lad called Arrowsmith, and I cracked him round the ear all with my diary because he was mucking about, called him to order. And I went back, and my other half for the girls, Olive Jones, her name, without cracking her face, without looking at me, she said, I see you've counselled Arrowsmith this morning. <laughs> so obviously this four days of help from the psychologist didn't help. Anyway, Jesus was straight. He said, there's persecutions. This life's not easy. 
but you're not doing it on your own. It says in another place, doesn't it? It's in, in I think it's chap, la, the last part of John 16. It says, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And we forget the bit that in me, says Jesus, you will have peace, wholeness, completeness. Proverbs 27 and verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I need people to say to me, Pete, you're crackers. You're up the chute without thinking. You can't go off like that. My main one that does that is called Susan. <laughs> and she's a wise woman. Yeah, what are you on about? She's a wise woman. <laughs> but we, we need people. I need Mark and John and others, Stuart. You know, you get prophesying and, and oi, that's balmy that. I don't know where you've got that from, but it was not from heaven. We need folk like that. Why? Because it keeps us fresh. It keeps us true. It keeps us in the realm of what God requires. What is He requiring? The kingdom to come in the earth in its fullness, the restoration of all things. We need real training. This is effective training. When you've got a brother that will tell you you're wrong, your attitude stinks, you need to put it right. Now, God sometimes does it to me, and that's fair enough. And when a brother or a sister does it to you, it's a real blessing, isn't it? <laughs> we hate it, don't we? But thank God, if we'll submit to it, if we'll yield to it, it helps us in the long run, doesn't it? Hebrews 12 tells us that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it yields a harvest of righteousness by those who've been trained by it. And we need people. No wonder they went in twos. When Jesus was with them, they said, boys, you're edging, trying to get position, trying to lord it over one another, wanting to be great, I mean, James and John, they even got the mum involved, didn't they, at one stage? You know, when all else fails, get your mum to do it. <laughs> Which one of these is going to sit at your right hand in glory? And the others were indignant with them. Pushy. James and John, pushy. Can't imagine Peter being mild and meek about what they were doing. But Jesus didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He rebuked them for their thinking of what greatness is. <laughs> and then used that opportunity to say, well, if you're going to be great, you've got to be the servant of all. Jesus, in Mark 8 and in, in Mark 13, speaks about the cost of this life. And the challenge to us today is want everything easy. 
We want to follow Jesus, providing is walking in an easy way. And as soon as it gets really hard or he seems to have departed from us, anybody ever felt that, like we're walking on our own? It's not the truth, but he goes quiet on us sometimes, doesn't he? Usually when we really need an answer now. And it's all silent. And I've found the best thing to do is to keep going with what you last heard from him when all goes silent. Sometimes he's just wanting to see if you'll be faithful to what he said. Just keep going with it. <laughs> but you know, when they went out two by two, there were challenges, there were places that didn't want to hear them. And that's not good, is it? I mean, you're all very kind and sitting here, not walking out. I've not been... Just lately, I've not been thrown out of many places, but in the past I have. I preached the same sermon seven times at one church on the bounce, same one. And I told them on the seventh time, that's because you haven't done what I told you at last six times. And that was the last time. He threw me out. Be blessed and don't come back. You're all sitting here and you look okay. Nobody's got anything to throw at me. Tomatoes and soft, and they don't bruise the skin, but these ones did because they came in a tin. Yeah, we don't know that one. But these, not everybody received when they went two by two. Why do you think Jesus told them ahead of time? Because he knew what was coming. What do you do with that? Well, you keep doing what Jesus said, but he warned them. He said, it's not going to be easy. But these are the ones that stuck with it. Didn't they? They did. Praise God. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us about Moses who forsook the pleasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. He was looking forward to the same city we're looking for. You don't think that vision of the fullness of the kingdom has just come to you, do you, in this generation? We've just been grafted into what's already been going. These people who saw it from afar, thousands of years before us, but we're still after it. Why am I still in this? Because I still believe in the restoration of all things. I still believe that the kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness. It's already here, but it's like that yeast that's permeating through, it's surreptitious. You can't see it always, but it's here, and it will come in its fullness. And my eschatology is pretty much like that, because I've read that one. It's not bad. <laughs> but with a job to do, so that the king doesn't have to come and do it, he's coming back to reign in what's already come to pass. So with a job to do. And we're able. You see, when those people were together, don't you think that Jesus was sharing what the kingdom's going to be? Sharing the big picture? We were talking about that this morning, weren't we? It, when we've got a big picture, the eternal perspective on things, you're more likely to be able to deal with the here and now, which often is opposite to what that is saying. You know, if you've had a prophetic word over your life, nearly always when it comes, all hell breaks loose 
to make it up. Everything in your circumstance seems to be opposite to what the prophet said. For goodness sake, it's nothing like this. It's not supposed to be like this. Well, that's because there's this thing called faith. We have to apply faith. We have to pray on this stuff. We have to battle for it to come to pass. And that's what Jesus was teaching them. You can't learn it except you do it. This discipleship, this effective training of Jesus is called on-the-job training. On-the-job training. People say, which Bible school did you go to? I usually say the same one as Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> and he used to say, the school of the Holy Spirit. If you've read Brother Yon in The Heavenly Man, he was asked, which Bible school do you go to? And he said, the Holy Spirit School of Personal Development. And in brackets it says prison. <laughs> we don't want that. Okay, well that's how Jesus did it. What about us? Because Jesus is not upon the earth now as he was then. It's a corporate man that's now in the earth. We are his body. I really believe that God has only had and only will ever have one son. And we're it. The body of the Christ. So how is that training done now? God asked Cain a question one time. He says, where's Abel? And Cain's answer was the cop-out, wasn't it? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is, yeah. <laughs> We're to look after and promote one another. Aren't we? When Andrew moved up to Leeds, it wasn't to go to university. Praise God, because it would have killed him and he'd have killed somebody else in the bargain. <laughs> he might be able to do it now, but he couldn't have done it then because it wasn't in. But he did get an apprenticeship with Yorkshire Water. So how did that work? Were, were there, was there written work to do? Yeah, praise God it wasn't much. Because how he got his GCSEs is a miracle to us. Because his, his brother, James, is an academic. You know, in his revision, he would have done an hour and a half's revision and a ten-minute break. Our Andrew had done ten minutes revision. And the hour and a half break would have lasted the rest of the day. And he used to say, well, I've done this at school. Yeah. Revision, to look at it again, that's what it means. Why? I've done it. And it's, you know, you go to a parents' evening and... Teacher says, well, he knows what he's on about, but we can never get him to write anything down. Anyway, <laughs> praise God for the iPad. He actually writes things down now. <laughs> but he learned primarily by working with someone that was trained. Now, when I was preparing again for this morning... That's left a more guessing mark, hasn't it? <laughs> I had a vision. And the vision, sometimes visions are memories. You know that, don't you? 
It's recalling what, oh yeah, and then God speaks into what you can remember. Now, close to where we live is a park. It's called Eastwood Park. And in this vision, I saw three saplings. One was broken, snapped off about two or three inches above ground level through vandalism. Another one was uprooted. It had been blown over by strong winds. And the third one was thriving. It was upright. But it had a little cage around it. Like circular pattern of railings around it. And I believe God said, you need to tell this to the church. That there are many folk, and it's not chronological, it's in the Lord. There might be people that have been born again for 20 years and still as they were when they were born. But what they need is someone that's been walking with Jesus a while to be like a little cage around them. So when the storms of this life hit them, they don't bend too far. And when the enemy comes to try and break them down, he can't get in. Why? Because there's this little cage of protection around them. And I just felt that if we're going to do this the Jesus way, this effective training, now Jesus is seated at his right hand and his body are the one, is the one that's operating this stuff now, we've got to change the way we do things. Because our methodology of doing a course for six weeks tends to leave people after that six weeks to their own devices. And a six-week course isn't enough. We've got to share life with one another. It's very important, but it takes two things for that to happen. For those who are young in the Lord, they've got to swallow a bit of pride and say, we need help. It's not failure to say you need some help. Now, I used to teach a little bit of metalwork. It was part of the, the faculty called Craft for the Daft. But I used to teach a bit of metalwork. We'd get kids saying, can you help me with this? And there'd be these... We used to make a series of certain jobs, and then when they got to year 10, they could choose what to make, and they all wanted to make companion sets, you know, pokers and shovels. They'd all got gas fires, but they all wanted to make those. I think it's because they could thump stuff with a hammer. Gets the stress out. <laughs> anyway, these kids would say, Sir, can you help me with this? And there would be their piece of work in a vice, and I said, well, what you need to do? And I'd pick the, the tool up and start to show them how to file. You file a curve, and you've, if you've, the curve is convex, you actually file it the other way, and it, it seems weird, but it works. Or you get them with this saw blade that long, and you see these kids, and they're going at it like this, and they use about that much of the blade. And wonder why it takes a long time to cut. But if you take it nice and steady, it cuts faster because you use the whole length of the blade. You're looking like you're interested, but anyway... <laughs> But while I'm showing him how to do this, he's talking to his mate. Oi, what's going on here? Get here. And I realized to him, help meant do it for me. So I wised up to this. So when they say, sir, can you help me with this? I'd take theirs out of the vice and put mine in it. I said, this is what you need to do. And you could see the look of disappointment on the face. It was ace. 
when you ask the Lord to help you, it implies you're going to do something. Jesus, will you help us in our evangelism? Yeah, if you go and tell somebody about me, I'll help you do it. But I can't help you if you're not going to do anything. Help implies you're going to do something. So why don't we help one another? When Elijah threw his mantle on Elisha, Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he was actually in charge of the 12th pair. And when they had oxen, they used to put an older, experienced animal with a young one. And the young one would learn from the old one by doing it. How about we do that a little bit more? How about some of you who are more experienced in the Lord become a mom and a dad to somebody? Even Jesus said, yeah, or was it Jesus or Paul? I forget now. It's in the Bible. But <clears throat> he said, um, somebody said, you have many guardians in Christ. You don't have many fathers. What does a father do? I took my boys fishing. Andrew was great. It's always Andrew, isn't it? I mean, you know him, but we all know him. <laughs> and it was his first trip. He had to be six, six years old and able to swim at least a width of the channel. No, the swimming pool. <laughs> and I said to James, I said, we've half an hour left. Now, when I, when I, take my, when I took my lads and girls fishing... I bless the girls. And uh, I never set any tackle up for myself. We have one set of tackle, and I'd show them how to do it, and then let them have a go, and more and more, they, until they're able to do it for themselves. Well, with our Andrew, that's what we were doing. We'd got one set of tackle doing it between us. James was self-sufficient, because he's five years older. And I said, we've got half an hour. And Andrew says, can I throw some bait in? I said, yeah. And we got a handful of bait. And he, th he threw it like that <laughs> and followed it. There was a big splash. I said, you know that half an hour, James? It's gone. It's time to pack up. So we stripped him, not a pretty sight, and wrapped him in this blanket. And two or three days afterwards, he says, Dad, can I go and jump in that water? And you wrap me in the blanket again. He, he wasn't bothered about fishing. He just wanted to do that again. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, why don't we take somebody under our wing? The two challenges for us, we've got to be willing to share life. And secondly, we've got to be humble enough to have it shared with us, to interact with people. Another one of my um, hobby horses. And when I fall off it, I fall onto my soapbox. What happened to friendship? What happened to friendship? We have the Sunday gathering, like this morning, and sometimes we have church in the home. Some churches call them cells, don't they? I don't like that. It's a bit scary to me. I think I'm not going home. In fact, in a biology paper, 
year nine biology paper, it said, draw a typical animal cell. And on this paper, there was a window with bars, a little face behind it. <laughs> he ought to add a mark for that, for fun. What happened about meshing lives? We've got home groups that do this, and church meetings where folk view one another from a crowd, across a crowded room. But what happens about meshing lives, becoming friends again? Believing that you've something in you to share, because you have. You have. If Christ is in you, you've something to share. It might not have worked out for you like it does for them, but your experience may just help them proceed in their walk with the Lord. So start to believe you've something to share, because this is the effective training that Jesus is wanting his church to involve in. It's not a course where there's a written exam at the end. It's a life that's shared. And in the midst of it all, the presence of the Holy Spirit makes it alive to us. We don't have to have titles for it, you know. Chief Elder. All right, it just means you're older than everybody else, doesn't it? Bible teacher. Senior steward. Discipleship facilitator. We've done all this, haven't we, in the past? And what has it done? It's brought a separation. That great, there's a wonderful theological film out called Crocodile Dundee. Well, there's one point where this person has gone to a shrink and he says this, haven't she got any mates? And this person said, yeah, that's what we need, a few more mates, isn't it? But my mates, I don't know what yours are like, but they tend to wound now and again. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. And we give the best hugs. We family and in this house that means we love